And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, May 5th. Derek Van Riper, Britt Giroli, Ito Saris, all here with you on this Thursday Today, we are celebrating Dusty Baker becoming the 12th manager in big league history to reach 2,000 wins. So probably more manager talk on this episode than we've had on every episode of this podcast throughout (laughs) its entire existence. Uh, We're going to talk about the decision that the Mets made to move on from Robinson Cano and whether or not there's a path for him on another roster elsewhere. Uh, We're also going to talk about what has changed the most for us during the first month of the season. We'll talk risers, fallers, hitters, pitchers, teams that have really kind of changed our minds through the first month and change. We're also going to have our best April discovery, which is anything. It could be a player we've enjoyed watching, a team, a booth, uh, whether it's TV, radio, whatever it might be, something we found enjoyable from this first month and change. And we'll have our newly renamed People of the Week segment because sometimes it could extend beyond hitters and pitchers. We'll give credit to Eno for renaming that segment uh, during last week's show. So, We begin today with Dusty Baker, 2,000 career wins. Britt, this is a huge milestone. 12th manager in big league history to reach that total. First black manager to reach 2,000 wins in big league history. I'm looking at Dusty, and I'm kind of glad that the the narratives around him have changed over the course of, of my time watching baseball, where I feel like when I first entered the baseball infosphere let's call it if that's a thing i don't know it wasn't it wasn't twitter whatever was before blogs and you know all, all the commentary there was always this sort of negativity around dusty because of, of how he handled young pitching and, and things like that but clearly the latest chapters of what he's done in houston have done a lot to sort of round out the story and of course the question now is will he get a world series title will that happen will that be the crowning achievement on his career, but I would say of the managers that have been a part of the game throughout my lifetime, he might be on Mount Rushmore because he's just been a part of baseball as long as I've been watching it. Yeah. I mean, anytime you can talk to someone who starts a sentence with when I played with Hank, meaning Aaron, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are talking about history, right? Um, and I, I didn't cover him when he was in DC. I just missed him, but the stories you would hear from players about being around him, again, about that knowledge base that he has. This is a guy who's been in the game for, I don't know, five, six decades. It's just crazy to think about um, the wealth of knowledge that he has. And to me, you put him in the Hall of Fame, don't you? Easily. You put him in the Hall of Fame. For sure, yeah. Even without the 2,000 career wins, even before he got here, I think um, he'd be a Hall of Famer. I think, like you said, what happened – with him getting another chance with Houston 
which wasn't guaranteed, right? I don't think before the Astros cheating scandal went down, people were saying Dusty Baker is going to get another chance here. You weren't sure about these guys. You weren't sure about Dusty Baker or Buck Showalter, um, that kind of older group really ever getting a chance again, the way the game has shifted. And what's been awesome to see is those guys get another chance with talented teams and win. And then you wonder, okay, did we misjudge them? Did they really do a better job than we thought? Did they just need some talent? Um, did they need the right blend? Dusty had some talent in DC, but did they need the right blend of what James Click is bringing in Houston with analytics? Um, did they did they need that? I don't know, but I think it's been awesome to see. And so many people hate the Astros but love Dusty Baker, and they were so divided. I think when Houston was in the world series because of that, like they wanted dusty to win, but it was very hard to root for the Astros. He makes them likable. This is what made him such a great hire. And I don't think anybody could have predicted the amount of success he was going to have because when he came, he was managing for his life. He was on a one year deal. Do you guys remember? He's still like a year to year kind of guy. And so I think that really tells you too, this is a guy who's never been really given anything. It's not like Houston signed him to a five-year deal. Um, it was always like, well, we'll see. Well, people like Dusty, he's a perfect cover post-cheating scandal. Turns out he's a really good baseball manager as well. And you're seeing that. So I think it was just a really cool moment in baseball from a guy who is so well-liked, so universally well-respected. You saw Joey Votto um, give him like a Twitter shout out. By the way, Joey Votto on social media instantly makes <laughs> Twitter better. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman has said like there's no manager he'd rather go drink a bottle of wine and, and kind of trade stories with than Dusty uh, I think he's like that cool old grandpa that everybody wishes that they had um, and I just think it, it's terrific yeah I think it I think that whole the, the story arc with the Astros is fascinating because I you know there is this thing that happens sometimes with you know minority managers or minorities in different um, in different situations that they sometimes that when they get their chance, it's a crappy one. You know, it's like, Oh, well, you know, uh, we need, we need somebody, you know, like, you know, the Astros, everybody hates us. Let's just uh, paper over with Dusty Baker. And, you know, but the nice part is they've extended him. I think that they've realized how good of a mix he is and that, you know, he is willing to discuss things with the front office. He is willing to, you know, uh, maybe, put the lineup in that the front office is, is pushing for, but his brilliance is not so much in the, like, you know, the tinkering with a lineup, his brilliance is exactly that what you're talking about in terms of they like him, you know, they want to battle for him. The, it, it's just, you're less likely to have locker room strife. If everyone kind of likes dusty, you know, you're less likely, there's less likely to be sniping in the media. You're just more likely to have a pleasant work environment. And I actually think, you know, I've said that a lot on this show that I think that's the number one thing that managers should do. I think that's the number one thing that they should do is deal well with the media and create a nice positive work environment. And he's like amazing at those two things. So like, you know, po more power to him. Uh, I have the manager list up. I think that he is right there between a bunch of Hall of Famers. Um, you know, everybody who has over 2000 wins is in the Hall of Fame other than Bruce Bochy who uh, may be there soon. Dusty Baker also has a better lifetime uh, record than Dusty, than uh, Bruce Bochy, who is actually uh, below 500, <laughs> 2003 wins and 2021 losses. Uh, but um, the only thing missing is you look over at the World Series 1 
category, and it is the only zero there among uh, the 2,000 win uh, the group there. So, uh, you know, the only the closest one is Leo DeRocher, who has uh, 2,008 wins um, and one World Series one. So, uh, it would really it would really cement his Hall of Fame status. But I do think that 2,000 uh, gets you in the Hall of Fame. It's a little bit like 3,000 hits. Yeah, and I started to wonder because we went through this with you know, Miguel Cabrera reaching 3,000 hits. We're, we're in this new era of baseball. Things change so quickly. Is there going to be another 2,000 win manager? That's much more likely than members of the 3,000 hit club. I mean, there's a, a longevity component to this, being willing to adapt as the game changes. Certainly, Dusty has done that very well. I think you, know, you hit the nail on the head. What I expect the manager to do now is literally manage people keep people happy take different personalities keep people going in the right direction when things are not going well because over 162 games things aren't going to go well for the entire season Mm -hmm. Uh, i think you know being able to apply the organizational philosophy and to sell that to players that's part of the job as well and again something he's done exceptionally well and Britt, to the to the point of uh what you brought up with ryan zimmerman dusty is absolutely the manager that if you said you can go out for a a beer, bottle of wine, whatever, with with any manager, Dusty's stories would be better than anyone else's stories in the game right now. Among <laughs> yeah. all the managers, it's not the even man, close. The man probably invented the high five. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> also, I want to talk to him. <laughs> also, as we talk about going to get a bottle of wine, the guy owns a winery. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's checking all the boxes for me. You know, yeah. um, I just think again, I would be like, listen, just tell me about Hank Aaron for like most of the entire hour. I mean, can you? I how many people do you know who directly played with Hank Aaron? It's a short list, and I, th- I think the the, the the thing about baseball history that I, I, I need to do a better job uh, kind of gathering and appreciating right now is that the people that did play with Hank Aaron, this this generation will not be around to tell the stories forever. There's only so much time for us to, to you know get those opportunities to speak to these people, to learn from them. And hopefully it's something we get a chance to do. But what are uh, what are some young uh, younger because none of them are that young. Um, and what are some younger guys that you could see being on, you know, a, a trajectory like this? I'm, I'm kind of looking through, you know, in terms of already having bulk, uh, Buck Showalter with, you know, 1,569 wins uh, is, is yeah. probably the closest to kind of maybe making 2,000. But in terms of like, you know, younger guys that could uh, that could manage for a long time, um, you know, Dave Roberts already has that win under his belt. He only has 557 wins, so he has pretty far to go. But wow. I get that same sort of sense from Dave Roberts where he did just enough as a player, um, you know, to, to garner that sort of respect. And then also is just really great with the media and one of the, you know, one of the tougher media environments out there. Um, and has shepherded a really good, also has like a lot of talent every, you know, every year. Um, but has managed to, you know, that's probably a demanding front office, you know, um, and he's managed to bridge that gap between the coaching staff and the front office. Uh, so I, I don't know. I could see him kind of following in the footsteps uh, there a little bit. Yeah. Certainly if the Mets stay on this trajectory, if they ever win a World Series, Buck's got a three-year deal, which is a lot for a, a newer manager, but he's not, you know, he's a veteran. Mm-hmm. I could see that kind of solidifying his resume, right? Because you're looking at, you know, Arizona wins right after he leaves. He creates that team. 
Same thing in New York. Um, and he's Texas. missing. He's right in the middle of a bunch of Hall of Famers too, in terms of wins. With he's the only one without a without a World Series win. Yeah, I think he needs probably the World Series ring to make it a little bit of a stronger case. Um, and he could he could very well do that. The Mets have been. On, I mean, did you guys see that the two New York teams and the two LA teams are in first place for like the first time ever right now? Wow, it is hard to have the Angels and the Mets. <laughs> simultaneously hold up their end of the bargain. At least it has been, <laughs> you know, for a long time. We got to give one last shout out though. Uh, Terry Francona. Yeah. He's the closest yeah, actually. Yeah, He's got 1800 wins Rangers. and a world series. So I, I actually yeah. think he might be in, you know, I think he might be a hall of famer as it is there. There is a grouping of hall of famers, uh, hall of fame managers that only got to 1600 wins. Uh, like yeah. Tommy Lasorda and uh, Dick Williams and Buck Showalter. Uh, no, no, Buck Showalter's there. He's not a Hall of Famer. Not yet. It's, Earl it's gonna come is in there. Yeah. Earl, yeah. Yeah. It's going to come down to hell for Francona, right? Like, I feel like that guy would manage until he couldn't, but it's physically going to, it's going to become a health issue. Yeah. It's already, yeah. He's already left the team a couple of times. Yeah. Like, what's the difference between 1800, 1900? You already have a World Series win. I think he's, I think he could be in already. Yeah. You're right. And it seems like if you get to about 1500 and you have a World Series win, that might be enough to get you very there. few people have have done both of those and are not in the hall of fame yet yeah so congrats to dusty amazing achievement one that we won't see a lot of in the years to come if i had to pick a young manager that could do it i'd actually go craig council because look i, I just think he's maybe it's because he looks so young like craig council <laughs> has looked the same age since he was 25 years old i feel like he's not aging so he how can, old is he how old is craig council he's in his 40s probably 40 years out of playing was he 45? 51. Uh, 51. He's 51. He okay. He does not look what? 51. But if you give him 20 more years. And I mean, you can. You can manage into your 70s. 80 wins a season. Then, you know, he'd, he'd get there. And I don't know. I mean, it's, it's well, harder in a smaller market. But he's home. He's he's literally managing his hometown team. If he wants to do it, it, it seems like the kind of thing where the, the manager can stay almost as long as he wants. So long as something unforeseen doesn't come through. Mm -hmm. So speaking of which, what about Joe Madden, who we've kind of been back and forth on, on this pod? He has a world. He, the Cubs win the world series with that guy. He's, That's he's true. old though. He may it's run how many wins world series too. The, the issue 1370. It's not, yeah. it's not that much. No, the issue to the standout. It's yeah. not a standout uh, winning percentage either. 534. He's, well, he's, he's in the angels. He's here's right the question. There. If the Angels were to win the World Series this year and Madden gets enough wins to be in the oh, 14 then he's in. He's range in. and he says, I'm going out on top. We won the World oh. Series. I mean, he, in. Is he in? Earl Weaver has 1,480 wins and uh, one World Series win. Miller Huggins has 1,413. Earl yeah. Weaver was, you know, weaving tapestries yeah. of profanity that are still hanging above. But also Weaver the like changed the game, right? Like, wasn't he like the blooping a blooping a blast guy? He's the three-run home run guy. Yeah, the three-run home uh, run guy. Here's so. the thing with Madden. If you win in Anaheim, and then after you won the Iconically in Chicago. That's two I, big wins. Yeah, and here's an eight. He didn't get that raise. Rays also went to the World Series with him in 08. They lost, but that Tampa Bay team was the first team that was ever good. That's right. Mm, I, I, I could see Madden getting in with a second World Series. I don't know so, if he'll manage long enough to do it. Yeah, to get up to the the Francona level of total wins and have the current World Series be enough, but he's certainly on a trajectory where he's got a shot. Uh, it's just a question of are the Angels actually is that this, good? Is this too many Hall of Fame managers? 
<laughs> I don't uh, know. Well, at, at one point, I mean, player manager was a thing, right? And the answer to every manager question ever is actually just Connie Mack. Just if anyone asks you a question <laughs> yeah. about manager he records, managed just, for 53 years. Tony the is in second place with 35. Yeah. Good luck, Tony. Good luck catching Connie Mack. <laughs> Connie Mack managed from 1894 to 1950. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> 1894 to Oh, my God. So things happened on the planet during that time, too. So It just uh, strikes me as a lot, though. I don't know. Like, the players had a large portion of the responsibility for winning those championships. Still, it's incredible. Managing is an unforgiving role. I think people who don't know, like, I think it's one yeah. of the worst jobs in baseball. Uh, it could be it's so brutal every day the schedule you're there at two o'clock you're leaving at 2 a.m going over roster moves i don't think people yeah. realize like how bad of a job it is you have to love it yeah i can see that you just you still live the lifestyle of a player in terms of being on the road but you're not really comp you're not compensated like a star player maybe you're yeah. compensated better than a, a league minimum player in a lot of those cases but it's yeah yes. not, not necessarily a glamorous job flashpoint for all the media criticism yes and it's not the lifestyle of a player because a player can show up to the field at four o'clock mm. on a late bus on the road the manager's not showing up that late no no they got to be at all nice and, and players are can shower and get out of there when the game's over the the Manager has to talk to the media, has to go over, you know, roster moves, Tomorrow injury things, updates, meet yeah. with the front office. Like, it's not, it's way worse in my opinion. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on to one of the big stories coming out of the roster cutdown over the weekend. I heard the kind folks over at MLB Network Radio debating this as I was driving around the other night. And uh, Robinson Cano, uh, a roster casualty as the Mets had to pare down that roster. I think they made the right call. This is not a decision that this organization under previous ownership was likely to have made. And it was in the face of, I think, some public support from Francisco Lindor uh, after the Sunday night game. I believe he made some comments that he you know, wanted to see Robinson Cano stick around. Uh, unfortunately, you just you can't keep everybody. So it leads me to a question. Is it over for Robinson Cano? Because, you know, I heard everyone on the panels on the MLB network radio debating whether or not he still had value. And they were leaning more toward the Probably not, but because of universal DH, it's not impossible. Where do you fall on it? I, I it, such an uncomfortable discussion, man. Just like here's a heaping turd of a question. I'm sorry, DVR. It's a like turd question. Is this guy's career over? Yes, I think his career is over. Yes. Uh, 
I'm sorry. I, like, so it seems awful to say it, but he has no bat speed anymore. He has not hit a single ball to center field or right field, which is not necessarily an exact, you know, representation of bat speed, but it's just like he, he, he can't, he can't, he can't, he, the, yeah. the bat speed is gone. He, it's nothing there. I don't know. And here's the thing that bothers me. It's like, if he does get signed somewhere, and he comes back, people are going to write it as like a redemption story. But this guy made his own bed. He cheated. Mm-hmm. He got suspended. He was a steroid user. Um, so I don't really want to hear the like, he's great for the clubhouse kind of rhetoric. Um, to me, he, Lindor, <laughs> yeah, to me, like Lindor, I watched that Lindor interview. He said, you know, it was tough. I liked Cano, but I respect the front office's decision. So it was more like, yeah, he's cool to have around, but we're going to win baseball games. I'd rather have Dom Smith. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like, that, you know what I mean? to me is a, that was a no brainer decision from just a pure talent standpoint. But I just think teams a lot of times get caught up in, well, we owe this guy a lot of money and there's a track record and we yeah. had to wait this yeah. long. And you, you, you don't, it's, it's sunk cost fallacy for lack of a better term. I, I don't, I don't like talking about players who are, are at the end of their career. It's not fun. It's more fun to talk about rising and stars and players so who are playing well. Awful. It's a really hard time for the player. It's got to be. It's, it's so hard. I mean, imagine yeah. if if you had anything in your life, even as like a high school athlete, a college athlete, or a hobby or something you did for a long time, and that was like your core identity, and one day it's just gone. That's a devastating you blow you no matter do what. It. Yeah. And you right. think you can still do it, and everyone's telling you you can't. It's just awful. It's got to feel yeah. pretty terrible. It's, it's, it's the downside of being you know in the clouds for as long as I, players get to be in the clouds i accidentally thanked a player uh for all the interviews because i thought their <laughs> career right. was done uh and they didn't they didn't understand why i was thanking them they're like are you are you taking a different job or something and then i was like oh god um uh, no uh just uh, wherever you sign i'll be glad to see you again. <laughs> Just might not see you for a while. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Uh, really might end up on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like two years ago, I did a story about retirement and how so few guys get the retirement tour, right? They get to go out on their own terms. Mm. And guys compared it to like dying. Like they were like, it's like a part of you dies. Wow. Um, and this is why I think so many players struggle to make that adjustment back to real life. Um, because their identity has always been as a baseball player. It's not just a regular job. It's just been their identity. And I think they there try to hold really on to high, that. Really high divorce rates. And Correct. Just, you know, just, they, you just lose your sense of self. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's really sad, honestly. Um, Buck always had a saying, I think Billy Martin used to tell him, like, don't ever let a star fall on you. Uh, because it is so sad to watch. Vladimir Guerrero here in Baltimore at his final years. It's really sad to watch somebody just deteriorate and get a front row seat. And mm. as you guys said, it's just, it's not fun to talk about. It's amazing that Pujols has done it so gracefully. You know, like, yeah. it's kind of amazing that, like, what? What's, what's, what's that? <laughs> is, is he doing it gracefully? I mean, he's not, he's not playing that well, right? Am I missing? I need to actually pull up his page real quick. The, the Dodgers stint for Albert Pujols went better than I expected. Better than a lot of people Right expected. now, he's hitting 250 with a couple homers. I mean, it's... 
Yeah, in in this environment, he's thirty percent better than league average. So it, it, <laughs> it counts, like it, it counts. But he had a he's had a five year stretch prior to this season where he was at least ten percent below average. So he's he's been uh, he's been a net negative, you know, like wins above replacement. He's been he's been a net negative since twenty seventeen. So it hasn't about, been super graceful in terms of the numbers, but it it's been more graceful in terms of how people are reacting to it how it looks yeah maybe i don't per- know it's, perfect it's, it's storm, not, not graceful to watch him run the bases <laughs> perfect storm because the down years happened in anaheim and people just weren't, weren't all over him the same <laughs> we're way. watching those games <laughs> oh, a, a mega star was was there to draw attention away right if you were watching oh, yeah. the angels the story wasn't albert pujols is in decline it was mike trout's amazing and now right. shohei otani's yeah. here and he's amazing so why yeah. why would you pick at pujols i think he's just been in the right places performed well in the part-time role with the Dodgers and then went back home, which compared to Britt brought up uh, Vlad Guerrero going to the Orioles, which uh, there are so many players that have these bizarre end of career seasons with a team that you completely forgot even happened because it's a the partial A's. season before the they A's were had, DFA. Like Mike Piazza. Yeah. <laughs> Hanley Frank Ramirez Thomas with the, the Guardians, I think was another <laughs> weird one. I mean, they weren't the Guardians back then, but at Cleveland. So you just look at, you look at some of these players and you're like, whoa, this is, this is bizarre. Like, I can't believe this actually happened. And, I, I think it's it's like when you see Nelson Cruz struggling, when you see Joey Votto struggling, you start to ask those questions every time you go through a bad month. Is this it? Is this is this the last of of this player being productive? And it, I think it's some of the worst questions you go through as a as an analyst or as a writer covering players. You're just like, how do you even go at this topic? And I think it also makes me think of players like Buster Posey, who you know, he decided to retire coming off of a great season last year. And a lot of us were like, well, wait a minute. Why, why is he retiring? It's like, if you're Buster Posey, you could play and try to play four or five more years. I'm sure you could have tried that. And yeah. you can beat up your body some more. And you can almost certainly decline because everyone usually declines at the end of their career. And you can live that. And you can go through that. Or you can say, I've had an amazing career. I've won three World Series. Borderline Hall of Famer already. Already proved everything I can prove in this sport. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is in, in sport, it, there, it's okay if you if you want to be Buster Posey. You don't you don't owe the world playing until you can't play anymore, because like the the psychological impact of that is something that a lot of us probably can't even fully understand. But there's so many more people that are just lifers that like yeah, it Brit depends said, on the guy. Define themselves, you know, as a baseball player. Yeah. Yes. That, you know, they're gonna hold on if they get another chance. You know, they'll do a minor league invite. They'll you know they'll. They'll show up if there's a chance they make the roster. I was just having this conversation with Annabelle Sanchez, and I said, are you done? Is this it for you? He's like, no, I want to get to 20 years. How many years has he pitched? Like 18. That's remarkable. I think, you know, a a lot of guys want to get to 10 years. Um, That's a big, uh, like, marker as well. But, like, 10 Uh, years has, like, a pension thing with it, right? Correct. It's also 20, a status 20, There's nothing thing. with 20. No, but again, I think it's these but guys' there's identity. A, only a very small group of people that's ever played 20 years. 20. Yeah. You're right, actually. That'd kind of be a cool story. How many guys have played 20 years? Yeah. Especially but, lately. Yeah. But it's the pension thing is, is real, too. The five, it was, there's, you get half pension at five or something. Mm-hmm. So they're, and five is really interesting because you have six years of team control. So there's, there are these players that are kind of marginal that are just trying to get like one more deal, trying to get that fifth yeah. year. You know, knowing that like they're not a star, and like you know, 
you know, they're 31 and they haven't never been really a, a full-time starter even, but you know, you know, they want, they just want to get to five and then there are other guys who, who want to get to that 10. Uh, 10 usually means you've signed a free agent deal though. So you, you feel all right. Yeah. If you got the 10 things were pretty good in most circumstances. I want to ask each of you, what has changed for you this season? We can kind of go around. We'll start, start with a hitter. Britt, how about a hitter who has just changed your opinion, good or bad? I think we've been on the, the negative side with Robbie <laughs> Cano and aging players, so maybe we want to swing it back into the yeah. uh, the good side. But who's really opened your eyes here in these first three and a half, four weeks of the season uh, and have showed you something that you just didn't expect to see? Well, I think we, someone's got to say Eric Hosmer, right? Like, what? <laughs> it's not going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you can have Eric Hosmer as uh, your I mean, <laughs> floor is yours, ma'am. I mean, I'm sure Eno can get into all the stats of why this is, you know, a mirage and not a miracle. However, it doesn't matter to me if this is dead cat bounce or what. Uh, it's still remarkable to see what he's been able to do. And, you know, Manny Machado has been playing great as well, but I think that's much less of a surprise. He's a good player still right. in the prime. Eric Hosmer is a guy who San Diego really was open about just wanting to dump on anybody at any time over the past year, year and a half, two years even. 11th um, in wins above replacement right now. It's remarkable. And I think and Manny's my, first. My, yes. And my mom said something about like the batting averages that have been going on. Like he, he's like started the season the best, my mom's a big Padres fan. They all live out mm. there um, since like Tony Gwynn. Wow. Because he has remarkable. a 382 average. Yeah, yeah. 382. Yeah. 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 So shout out to mom for that little nugget. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out if she listens to this podcast or if she doesn't support her daughter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, mom. She, reads the, she does read the articles. I don't know if she's a big audio person. <laughs> We're going to find out. Uh, but it's got to be Eric Hosmer. I, listen, I don't know if it's going to last or not, but to me, he's got to be the hitter that I'm most surprised by because they're still missing Tatis. And so having uh, Manny and Hosmer step up the way that they have in a really tough division, um, to me, has just been remarkable. Um, it's 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 amazing to me how little has changed about what he does. Like, he still hits a ton of ground balls, and, like, you know, he's he hasn't, like, completely changed who he is, but he's just hitting the ball harder, you know, and he's and he's pulling the ball more, so... Something, something there is working for him. Yeah, I don't know. It could have been between his ears, right? Like sometimes, as we have all seen, you can't really explain it. A guy has a guy starts off really, really well, and then all of a sudden, he just believes he can do it again, and he just never stops. Yeah. Um, it, which, you know, he had said there was, there was a small adjustment where he's trying to, you know, stay back more on his back leg, and it's it's not impossible that something like that could allow you to, you know, turn on things on the inside and. You know, if you're turning on pitches on the inside, then you're hitting those harder. So there's, yeah. there's some aspect to that that's that it could be the adjustment he made. Yeah. And, and then the kudos for him for making adjustments because, you know, you sometimes you get the, the big pile of cash and you just say, oh, well, that's that's how the career goes, you know. And others are like, no, I'm going to keep trying. Like Joey Votto is my patron saint. And like that guy has yeah. tried about a million different ways to be good. Uh, since he signed his contract, so yeah. I respect for that. True. Who are you going with? You know, who's your? Uh, uh, you know, it's a little bit embarrassing because everybody loves him, and uh, you know he's been tabbed as a future star, and uh, it, it's a little embarrassing to me to have to kind of admit that there was a part of me that was worried that 
he wasn't going to be a star star, but Wander Franco is amazing. And uh, the thing that has changed to open my eyes about what he's doing right now is he's hitting the ball harder and he's lifting the ball a little bit more. So he's doing the things that could eventually turn into 30 homer power. And that was what I didn't necessarily see for him. I saw him as a guy who could play really good defense and maybe hit you 18 to 20 homers, steal a few bags and just be, you know, really important for the Rays, but maybe not like Lindor or, you know, one of these top, top uh, shortstops that takes everybody's attention, wins MVPs, that sort of deal. I was, I saw a little bit of a softness in the batted ball stats last year in terms of how hard he hit it and, and in what angles he hit it. He's really opened my eyes. He's he's got a really good approach right now, where uh, he can hit the high fastball uh, the other way for homers, and uh, he can he can club the the sliders too. Uh, you know, so he's 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 got great bat to ball, good eye, really good eye at the plate, and now he's adding that power bit. Yeah, I, I think Wander and Hosmer are both good choices for just first month, even. Even though they're like total opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of broader <laughs> expectations, I, I think I was in the yeah you could DFA Eric Hosmer and just accept it as a, a mistake that you made as an organization. If they had done that, they'd be missing someone that's actually helped them to this point, and they're off to a good enough start where that clearly would have been a misstep. And with Wander, I think the concerns that you had, you know, were probably you weren't alone in those concerns. I think it was just a question of how quickly was it all going to come together, and it's happening faster for Wander than. Even a lot of the maybe we should have anticipated that to some degree because he's been a young guy, you know, at all the levels, and he's he's been just a rocket through the minors. Like maybe I should have foreseen that, like the the getting better part would happen pretty quickly too. Yeah, so I've got Nolan Arenado as my player who's really changed my second mind. Second in Fangraphs WAR on the year. A good one, second, yeah. Second in WAR, and I, the reason I was concerned about him to begin the season is I was looking at the Statcast numbers from last year and. All of the power in St. Louis, all of it was to the pull side, and it still is. I don't think it matters. I think this, this approach works. The, the the way he's being pitched, as long as you're pulling them in the air, right? Yeah, he's he's hitting the ball in the air. I think more than ever, a twenty point six percent ground ball rate would easily be a career best. So if he's going to hit the ball in the air more than ever, even in that park, even with a deadened ball, he's still going to be very productive. I thought we were seeing the the beginning of a very graceful decline for Nolan Arenado. He's the kind of player he doesn't strike out a lot. He draws walks, plays every day because of his defense. Still a very good defender, too. I just thought the the offensive peak was behind him, and maybe he's still in it in some ways, or maybe he's at least capable of of running it back and, and popping to the 30 home runs this year and doing it with a, a better supporting slash line, too. So uh, he's, he's someone I was very skeptical of from a fantasy perspective, from a He's a part of the, the core part of their offense. Maybe they're going to underperform offensively in St. Louis. He is completely reverse course for me through the first month. And you know what's cool yeah. about this, too, is like you can you can totally see where that sort of feeling came from in terms of, you know, he had these peak seasons 2017 through 2019 where he was 30 percent better than league average and hitting 40 homers and just, you know, really great. And then there was a, a step back from that. And you could sort of see an aging curve where you're like, OK, he's going to be slightly better than average for a couple more years and then he's going to be average and then he'll be out. And, uh, you know, that's not going to be a Hall of Fame trajectory. If he is really changing his trajectory right now, like if he's really going to be really great again for the next three, four years, 
this could be a hall of fame trajectory. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like he, he could be changing from like the hall of, you know, very good to the hall of fame uh, pathway right in front of our eyes. Like, I mean, if he, if he's right now, he's got uh, 275 homers and a career 289 average. Uh, you know, that's a pretty good combo. Now, if he keeps those numbers high while he gets past 500 homers, I think he's in the conversation because he's always been really excellent defensively. So you're talking about basically a Roland type, you know, a Scott Roland type with more power, you know? So you could be changing that right in front of our eyes. Yeah, I mean, the defense is the part of the profile. Nine gold gloves already for Arenado. I think he... He definitely put a Hall of Fame trajectory foundation in place in Colorado, but I think the the in Colorado hurts you as a player. Yeah. It's not his fault. That's the team that drafted him. That's where he started his career. You can only play where you play until you have a choice or until you get traded somewhere else. The interesting thing, Arenado has an opt-out after this season. I think because of his age especially, hitting the market again as a free agent probably wouldn't get him a lot more, at least in terms of an average annual value, but Whereas previously, I thought it was impossible that he would opt out of that deal. There's maybe at he least just, maybe he just locks chance. in. Maybe he just locks yeah. in. It seems like he's happy in it, St. Louis too. So maybe he just locks in another I, year or something. Yeah, and, right. That that's that to me is more likely what's going to happen. But he's easily the the like the, the good player that has turned it back around in a way where I'm I'm, I'm stunned. The barrel rates up. I was really concerned about where that was headed. Uh, coming and, out of last season. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. I didn't know if are we going to do pitchers separately or can I just throw two pitchers on here real quick? No, go ahead. Bring it, bring it around with the pitchers. All right. Yeah, these, two, 
started pictures you know i have this stuff metric that's supposed to be really reactive and tell us really quickly when someone has changed and the two pictures that really stand out right now that have completely changed and changed who they are uh from year over year are kyle wright with the braves and uh, tyler mego with the with the mets and i think those two pitchers uh not only have they added velo but they've changed the shapes of their pitches they've changed them completely in kyle wright's case the changeup doesn't look anything like it used to look and now it looks like more like a top five changeup in the in the league so he's he's gone from trying to you know do the four seam and the sinker to just having a really great sinker Really great changeup, really great curveball. He, he used to have some command problems, but now he's just throwing everything with great shape and velocity more towards the middle of the zone and letting the movement take it out. So I'm, it's a, just a really revamping with Kyle Wright. Tyler Mago, same thing. We're more ride on the fastball. It was a kind of averages fastball, more ride and velo on the fastball. Makes everything play off of that better. So both of those guys, I think, uh, changed from, you know, guys you might be like okay he's our sixth guy and you know he'll he'll step in and be, to like no this this is one of our top three pitchers in our in our, in our rotation and uh so and and really important for both of those teams like both of those teams really needed a young pitcher i mean the mets yeah. th- it's the kind of difference between winning a championship and winning your division i think is tyler medjil standing stepping up and being like no nah, no we're good like four five six deep and we're really good four five six deep for the braves it's like we really need a pitcher you know like every like charlie morton's hurting uh waskari you know, is back in the minors like we really need a pitcher and kyle wright stepped up exactly what they needed yeah yeah, it looks like a totally different guy. How about you, Britt? Yeah, so uh, spoiler alert, as you know, knows, I wrote about this today. I'm mm. going to go with, as a whole, like the Twins rotation, which, like, I'm sorry. Did anybody see them being the best, among the best in baseball? They have the best ERA in the American League. They're second only to the Dodgers in all of baseball. And kind of like Eno was saying, this isn't like, this is a depth scenario. They've already used seven different starters. This isn't like a there's two guys at the top dealing and everyone else is just like, the raise eh. model a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I had Eno, of course, um, look at some smart stats for me so that I could sound super smart <laughs> when talking to some of these guys. And uh, Chris Paddock, as Eno tweeted, uh, the fastball command is elite. And when in talking to him, and this is kind of goes back to what I said earlier, he really said that it was about basically their pitching coach being like, reminding him like you're really good he said he got hit around the last two years and it kind of got in his head a little bit and you know he did add a fourth pitch that he did add a slider which gives him a little a little more movement especially to the right um a lot of his pitches kind of break left um or go down so that kind of adds a little bit more uh but you know he's only going to throw 10 12 of those in a start it still is going to be enough to keep guys off balance um but he just seems like a guy who really needed some confidence has had some success and now is just pitching like we saw flashes of in San Diego. So to me, that whole rotation, I mean, Joe Ryan, I mean, I, there was this crazy stat about how he started the, the first nine games of his career uh, with the lowest whip since Christy Mathewson in 1900. <laughs> uh, like the twins are just doing crazy stuff right now uh, with that rotation top to bottom. And I don't think, anybody saw this coming at all dylan bundy uh right now is throwing a lot more fastballs he's kind of ditched a lot of his off speed um and, and he's and having- his fastball is 89 miles an hour how is yes. that a good idea it's crazy I know. <laughs> it is crazy he said to me what he's done he's like the velo is obviously not there what he's done <laughs> a lot of is read swings like in between um 
at, like in at bats, like in real time. He said, it's really easy to read swings from the dugout. I've gotten a lot better reading swings in the moment and mm-hmm. then making adjustments based on that. And as Eno pointed out, the twin staff tops in the AL and going up and in and they can control it. They're a staff that's got had really good control as a whole. So they don't strike out a lot of guys. They're 19th in, uh, I think K is over nine, but they have excellent control and that high, there's just nothing you can do with that high and inside pitch for most guys. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think every conversation I had about the twins from, I don't know, November until opening day had some form of what about the rotation? How are they going to have enough quality starting pitchers to deliver on some of the potential that we, we thought this team had a year ago. I liked them as a bounce back team. Brit, I was behind the the Byron Buxton superstar plan. Like I, I thought all that made sense, but I had no idea how they were going to get enough quality innings from this rotation. And they, they're at least showing that maybe the level in April that they've reached is not sustainable all season, but they're not a liability. And I think that's a pretty big step forward for the twin starters compared to a lot of expectations just a couple of months ago. I got to throw Kevin Gossman in the conversation here. Yeah. I think the key difference for me is he's throwing the slider again. My issue with Gossman at the end of last year, he was a two-pitch guy. It was fastball splitter. The results in the second half of the season tailed off a bit. I just thought, I don't know if this is going to work. Going back into the AL East, catching you know, three consistently tough matchups, seeing the Yankees, the Rays, and the Red Sox as much as he's going to see them. I don't think it's going to work out clearly I've been wrong. Bringing the slider back is just part of that story, but he's just a more balanced pitcher. I I trust the guy with that third pitch so much more than I trust a two-pitch starter. Uh, So for me, it's uh, another another check in the favor of of the Jays and things they see in players and and pitching tweaks and adjustments. But I mean, I I, I was avoiding Gossman completely back in fantasy draft season because I thought the price was too high for what he was likely to do. And I've been extremely wrong. He's he's really showing this one uh, finding that they've had, which is you know that if you add another pitch that you throw ten percent of the time, you you have a better third time through the order penalty. You are able to turn the lineup over more better. Uh, that's obvious, of course, maybe because you have more pitches and you can you can change it up. But uh, the thing that's fascinating about it is it doesn't matter how good the third pitch is. It doesn't matter how how great that pitch is. If you throw it 10 percent of the time, it makes you better at turning the lineup over. And in this case, I don't think the slider is amazing. Uh, my stuff metric has it basically as 10 uh, as as below below average. Uh, but it's it's good enough. It's like they're they're all looking split finger and fastball, and and then they get the slider, and it's a surprising enough thing that it's been very helpful for them. Yeah, it's uh, really impressive the start that he is off to, and I think it's actually very sustainable too. I'm not worried about a, a second half fade from Gossman based on what we've seen early on this season. Uh, from a team perspective, I'll go negative on this one. The Reds are putrid, and I didn't think they'd be this bad. I thought the Reds, especially being in the NL Central. Would be with Green and Lodolo. A, a, yeah. a 500 team with some interesting young players. One that you'd look back at at the end of the year and say, I still don't really know why they wanted to trade you know, Winker and Suarez away, why they made their team immediately worse with the moves they made this offseason, saving money. But wow, they are, they're, they're a disaster. And I think the problem is you can be bad, you, you can be underwhelming, you can go, you know, eight and 17 in your first 25 games. And like, yeah, okay, you're, you're, you're just, you're off to a bad start. When you go three and twenty, I feel like that puts some clouds over your clubhouse that you just can't get out of. Like they're going to be in. Unfortunately, they're going to be in fire people territory, 
And I think that just causes teams to unravel. And I think it's going to be just a completely lost year for Cincinnati, which is such a disappointment because back before the lockout, you could have told me they were going to contend in the NL Central, and I would not have argued back against you. Well, once you trade away like actual starters like Sonny Gray and start like (laughs) just dumping guys who can still help you, unfortunately, who they're going to fire is not who they need to fire, which is Phil Castellini. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... Some of the stuff that's happened has been weird, right? The Tyler Stevenson injury, that's unfortunate. You know, you think about Jonathan India having hamstring trouble. Like those those things start to pile up too when you're kind of a... But championship teams have depth to overcome those sort of things. Right, right. And I think um, Tyler Malley has been a big disappointment. That's been a surprise for me. They caught... They also caught a tough schedule, but that's still... That's not enough. You, You can't... You can't go three and 20 in your first 23 games. Like, I, I, I'm just wrong. I, I thought this team was actually going to be competent and fun to watch, and they're generally not. Neither. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's been unfortunate. They, they've been the biggest, I think, surprise in a negative fashion. Um, the White Sox obviously haven't played well, but they've been just ransacked by injuries. I feel like no one is really truly buried that we didn't expect to be buried, except for the Reds. The Rockies are a nice surprise on the positive side. Like, how long can they keep this up? I don't know. Um, <laughs> not you long know, is the answer. Yeah, probably not long. But yeah, yeah the Reds are having the season that I thought the Rockies were going to have. Yeah, they've taken some heat off the Orioles and Pirates. If you think about it, <laughs> it's very nice of them to do that. A few things have gone right uh, for the Rockies, even with Chris Bryant missing some time on the IL. You know, Randall Grichik's doing kind of typical Randall Grichik power things. Connor Joe looks like a pretty nice find for them. He's off to another good start. Played pretty well at the end of last season. And CJ Crone, I just think health permitting is actually a pretty good middle of the order power bat for them. So they can score runs. The weirdest thing about the Rockies. Herman Marquez is a mess. Like if you told me, yeah, the Rockies are exceeding expectations, I'd say, sure. Herman Marquez is like a top 25 starting pitcher who just has to pitch in the most difficult place to pitch. He's been awful. He's getting just crushed inside the zone. Got hammered again by the Nationals. I think that was on Tuesday night. Yeah. There's like no end in sight for his struggles. So I'm with Eno. I see it as like a, I'm skeptical of how long it lasts, but I'm glad for the sake of the fans there that they are not a total disaster right now, especially given how difficult that division is. And, you know, kudos for them for finding Austin Gomber and Chad Cool. I think, you know, like maybe maybe there is more there uh, than than people expect. I, I liked Austin Gomber as a as St. Louis starter. So, you know, maybe there was something that they identified that was actually transferable to cores. Chad Cool actually throws the like John Gray uh, fastball. It's funny, too, because John Gray is like, it's not a good fastball. And the numbers say it's not a good fastball. But the thing that's interesting about it is it doesn't it it, uh, it functions the same in Colorado as it does on the road. There's something that it just doesn't get screwed up by Colorado as much as other pitches. So. Uh, Chad Cool kind of has that Rockies fastball they're looking for, and he's doing really well. So maybe they're maybe they are finding their way to like how to win there. It's just weird to me because it's largely the same people that were there before, <laughs> and they were bad before. I mean, does Connor Joe and Chad Cool and Chris Bryant make a team from a very bad team to a very good team? Because otherwise, am I missing who else have they added? <laughs> they yeah, they didn't make that many additions. I mean, Grichik is a good compiler, but he's not necessarily a player that 
wins you a lot of games. Like if you look historically at war, he's the kind of guy that hits like 250 with a 300 OBP and pops 25 plus homers. That doesn't move the needle in terms of actually winning games. It looks nice on the back of a baseball card. Mm-hmm. Which it's just that kind of profile. I'm not singling Grichik out there. A lot of players like that. So I, I look at this group and I'm like, come on. Like they're, they're not really any better than they were last year. And, and you're also, I mean, Story's gone. So you're replacing Story with Bryant. Like, okay. So right. you, you, your best addition yeah. is just offsetting your biggest loss. They're not yeah. better. I can't. I can't imagine it. But my team, it's a, it's a, you know, I I both predicted them to to do exactly what they did last year. So I guess I'm not surprised is a weird word here, but I do think that every year we look at the San Francisco Giants lineup and go, not again. You can't do it again. And every year we look up and the Giants are third in the league. In runs scored. Now I, I did predict them for like 800 runs, but that was like last year's run environment. Like there was, you know, like nobody's gonna maybe score 800 runs this year. It looks like it's a very different run environment. But uh, they have scored over 100 runs, and the league lead is like 100. And, oh, I had it up 110 or something. So they're not that far off the league lead, and they're doing it with all yeah. the same people. Um, and they're, I think that the, they have 110 and the Mets and the Yankees have 118 and that's, so they're tied for, they're tied for second really. Or, um, so, uh, third, the, uh, the interesting thing about it is I think that the way that they train, I think it's going to, I think every team is going to eventually do this and they call it training dirty. And so what they do is they have these little yellow balls that, uh, move more than regular balls. And so it's a little bit like that blitz ball ball or like, you know, it's like it, it, it they, they have these yeah. balls that augment the movement. So now they have and they're soft. So it doesn't hurt you when it hits on the handle. So they throw these things in the machine and they do 95 mile an hour sliders that have, you know, like 50 percent more movement than regular sliders. And they have uh, change ups that just drop off the table. So they're training dirty. They're trying to the things that they're trying to do are make it even harder than what the game is. They're turning the machine up to 110. You know, they're 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 just making it as hard as possible in training so that when you go up there at the plate, you're like, eh, man, this guy's only throwing 99. Yeah. Is it kind of like the effect? Imagine you you face a, a team's ace and then you face the number three starter later in the series. After seeing the ace, the number three star doesn't look that good, right? That stuff's not as crisp. The breaking balls don't break as much. Maybe the velo is a little bit lighter. I, I do think it's it's forcing yourself to see things better than what you're going to see that gives you a chance to be more productive against normal, even good, but even normal stuff. Yeah, and then I think they're also really good at, yeah. at, at, at like making the machine do like things that that night starter is going to do. That's so really if that night starter has a lot that. of yeah. If a lot tonight starter has a lot of ride, then the machine's going to be turned up plus ride, you know, and even more ride than the than the guy they're seeing. So then when they see it, they're like, ah, yeah, this is all right. I can handle this. How is every team not doing that? That seems very logical. That that checks I out. Think- yeah, I don't know if they're the only team doing that, though. I feel like I've no, heard I wouldn't of that say before. that they're the only team. Yeah, yeah you know, like okay. how's every said, team. I'm saying how is every team not doing? That? I, I, I just don't think every team is doing very it. logical. Uh, it, it takes a 
takes a little bit of like organizational savvy, like you know, because the Giants are doing it in Triple A and Double A too. So now, now when you're a prospect and you come up, you're like, oh, you're trained the same way as we do down in Triple A. So that requires a good pitching coordinator, hitting coordinator, director of player development, buy-in from all your coaches, right? Like it, it takes it takes a little bit of like organizational savvy to to pull that off. I mean, I, that just sounds like a thing that if you have lots of money you could do like, and I think these businesses have plenty of money so you know what you know what teams don't yeah. do enough I think sometimes accountability and firing hmm some teams should fire more it's it's a sad thing to say but like you know you you get you get baseball lifers you get people you know like I actually had a baseball person tell me you know I could fire that person but what would they do I don't know coach somewhere else but not for your right. team. Write that down for like a November episode when we have nothing. It's a good topic. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, people, people, I should, I, people we would fire. <laughs> That's, that goes right along with uh, whose career is over. <laughs> yeah, I whose mean, career is I, over. I, and then the whole of the very, very good, but not. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. The and 3 show. Gonna- those, guys, those guys are really nice. Let's get to our people of the week segment. I love the new name. We have one hitter, one pitcher that we each select as nominees, and then we choose an actual winner based on the past week of performance. Eno, who is your nominee for hitter of the week? Dang it. I had the pitchers open. Aha. Curveball. Uh, All right. I'll go. go. Go ahead, Britt. I think it's got to be Taylor Ward from the Angels. If you look at what he did, we're just going off of the past week. Past week, uh, which we have to define better because we're on a, a midweek recording should. schedule. So yeah, I'm, I always do Wednesday to Wednesday. You do Wednesday to Wednesday. Okay, I'll make sure I'm using the same criteria so we're not, uh, you know, breaking this all apart. So Wednesday well, Taylor, to Wednesday. Taylor Ward is an excellent choice. Yeah, I mean, he scored 93 for the week. Yeah. Yeah, scored 10, drove in 11, uh, 448, 484, 1000 slash line. During yeah. this past week, I don't know how you don't go with him. He's been having a really nice season. And we haven't really talked much about the Angels, which is unfortunate because, as I mentioned, they're in first place. It's kind of cool to watch because they're, they've just, you know, every year haven't been able to put it together. It is early, uh, but he's been like a, he's, he has all the makings of kind of like a breakout, a breakout season. He's 28 years old. Could this be the year he puts it together? Uh, you know, there's so many guys in that lineup that you want to pitch around that, you know, maybe he is the benefit benefactor of all of that. I don't know. Yeah, definitely a good nominee. Uh, I'm going to throw Aaron judge in there. It's kind of a, a chalky play. The only thing, if you're picking nits, it was striking out a little bit, but did a ton of damage, led the league in homers during the past five week, homers. five homers, drove yeah. in a bunch of runs. The Yankees are on fire right now. So that certainly doesn't hurt. So I'm going to throw Aaron judge in there as my nominee. I got a Houston two pack, yeah. uh, Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. Alvarez had the superior week. He walked more, uh, four homers, 391 average, was bazonkers. But the reason I wanted to throw Kyle Tucker in there was he had the poor start, but all the underlying metrics said that Kyle Tucker was fine. He was barreling the ball. He wasn't chasing. Uh, he was making he was making contact like ever before. And so then he had this week in the past week where he hit a homer, stole two bases, and hit 478. And now we all have to recognize that Kyle Tucker was fine all along. So that's why I'm going to throw him in there. But I think Jordan Alvarez is uh, my choice for hitter of the week. 
yeah, all three of these guys were crushing it. So there's not really a, a bad choice to settle on. I always feel like this award goes to the most surprising player who gets nominated. Taylor Ward it is. In, in that regard, Taylor Ward <laughs> yes. is our, our winner for this week's uh, Hitter of the Week award. Uh, let's go to the pitching side. Plenty of options there. And, you know, you were ready for pitching when I asked about hitting. So you get to go first on pitching. Dylan Mustachio Cease. <laughs> it's the mustache power, dude. I'm all over that guy. He used to have a command problem and be uh, a stuffist uh, extraordinaire. Now stuffist. He, now he's uh, now he's painting. In his last start, he was hitting 97 on the corners, and it was it was beautiful. He was able to hit the top of the zone without necessarily. In the past, he's sometimes three feet above the zone. Like he he doesn't have like, great command above the zone, but. In this in this start, he was able to dot at the top of the zone and the bottom of the zone, uh, 97. And I just remember John Baker used to work for the Cubs, uh, and he pulled me over to a, a cage and said, you got to watch this guy pitch. <laughs> and I actually mentioned that to John Baker recently. He goes, well, I'm no scout, but it's pretty easy. It was 98 up at the top of the zone with a nasty breaking ball and a great changeup. And, well, all those things are still true. So Dylan Cease is my guy. All right. How about you, Britt? Who's your nominee? Uh- I like that. Uh, I'm torn here. So I feel like we haven't, and DVR did give Kevin Gossman some love, but we haven't like really given him a whole lot of love. And if you look at the past week, he's good. But to me, it's hard. Like, are we also judging off of the past few weeks, right? Like Logan Gilbert in in Seattle. I think he got pitcher of the month in April. Terrific as well. Um, It's hard to kind of just point to one guy, one start. You can only start once in the course of a week. And we can overreact on here. I think Kevin Gossman. Yeah, is it always going to be a two-starter, right? Like, yeah. Drew was great. Yeah. <laughs> let's throw his name in the hat just because of the body of work and the fact that uh, what he has, what he's doing has just been, um, you know, I've had conversations with a couple different guys and he just keeps coming up unprompted. I think there are a lot of players uh, who are watching and, you know, kind of really impressed with what, what he's been able to do since he went over to Toronto this first month. A good selection for sure. I do have a two-start pitcher for me. It's Zach Gallen, who has uh, pitched very well in his last two starts. Didn't get a win against the Dodgers, but the Diamondbacks won that game, and he threw six scoreless with five Ks against the Dodgers. If you're keeping that lineup quiet, you're doing something right. I came back with five more Ks and six and a third against his former club when he faced the Marlins in his last outing. So I'm going to throw Zach Gallen in as our third nomination. Are we using the most surprising name of the three to award the pitcher of the week too? Yes. So we got to go with know. the mustache. That, we got to go with Eno if we're going to do that. No, we're going to go cease. The, Is the he the most surprising the one? I think the, maybe the most surprising might be Gallon, but Dylan cease has 20 strikeouts in the last week. Second place among qualified starters is Alec Manoa with 14. I mean, Come yeah, on, we, we love sometimes we, we just got strikeouts when someone is just another level beyond when someone is six yeah. strikeouts above second place. I think we got to give it to him. All right. All right. We will. We will give the award to Dylan Cease. We're going to say the mustache breaks the tie in this case. He's ready for <laughs> Halloween several months early, too. So he's got a lot of options uh, if he keeps that thing going all the way through the end of the season. We have to go. If you got a question for us for a future episode, feel free to email us. The rates and barrels emails, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. That's the best way to reach us for this show. Just let us know it's for the 3O show or ask in the comment section under this video on YouTube. On Twitter, Eno is at, at Eno Saris. Britt is at Britt underscore Giroli. And I am at Derek Van Riper. Feel free to drop us questions there. Just let us know that they're for the pod. And we'll be sure to get to those topics in a future week. 
That's going to do it for this episode of the 3-0 show. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.